0: You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm your host, Mark Brisley. Today's historically low traditional fixed income yields create several challenges for investors. At the top of the list are three in particular that investors and their advisors will want to consider. First, how can we effectively replace the income that investment-grade bonds used to provide? Second, how can we adapt portfolio construction to take into account the loss of protection that used to come from bonds when risky assets like equities go down? And third, how can we protect our portfolios from the risk of rising inflation and rising interest rates? Each of these challenges is unique and requires an approach to effective fixed income allocations to portfolios different than what we have used over the last 30 years. To help us understand these challenges, the current fixed income environment, and discuss adapting portfolios going forward, I'm happy to be joined by Portfolio Manager Marc-André Goudreau, who heads the Specialized Credit Team here at Dynamic. Marc-André and team are responsible for managing approximately $6 billion in credit-related asset classes, and apply their depth of decades of experience and disciplined process to managing assets in investment-grade corporate bonds, preferred shares, high-yield bonds and loans, in addition to floating rate and credit absolute return strategies. Mark andre it's great to have you here. I'm going to jump right in. The title of this podcast today is Time to Diversify Your Fixed Income. So how did we get to this title?
1: Well, Mark, as you pointed out earlier, when you look at most investors, having a, a good balance between offense and, and defense is, is obviously a great way to construct portfolios, uh, which is why the 60-40 the, the portfolio has, has been quite popular uh, over the past few decades. And and when we look at, at the 40, uh, which is your traditional fixed income, it really provided investors with two great investment benefits i would say uh the first one which is what i would call a a reasonable level of income so over and above fees and uh, and inflation uh and the second benefit uh has been basically a portfolio hedge against what i would call kind of a economic disasters where the 60s so equities uh, will go down significantly uh so basically providing capital gains which basically are used to um Buyback or rebalance um, equities at lower levels. So, so really, those have been the two main benefits of the 40 over the the past few decades. And and when we look at the facts today, uh, basically today's environment, and and we run scenarios about the future, and, and especially following the the unexpected global pandemic recession of of 2020. Uh, we believe that those two investment benefits um, have probably a, a low probability of delivering uh, future returns similar to what they have done in the past. So, so this is why, I guess, uh, we're, we, we came up with the, um, uh, the title of, of today, which is Time to Diversify Your Fixed Income. So diversification going forward, in our mind, uh, will be even more important than before, um, not just in your broad portfolio Uh, mix, but also within fixed income.
0: Mark, you talked in the uh, previous answer to the challenges of the 60-40 portfolio. And for our listeners, understanding that that represented a 60% weighting to equities traditionally and a 40% weighting to fixed income. And obviously, the fixed income provided what many people consider to be more stable, sort of safety net of protection when the riskier assets and equity side would maybe go down and that would create that balanced portfolio. So why are we talking about... 60-40 60-40 portfolio construction as much as we are and maybe more simply or as an extension to that. Why do you think or why is the statement being made that bonds may no longer provide protection when risky assets go down?
1: Risky assets usually go down when there's a recession and um, and this is when central bankers uh, usually respond by, by bringing down overnight rates to basically give a break to companies, consumers, re-stimulate the economy and, and, and also on the equity side, lower the discount rates of future cash flows uh, are, even though they're down, they're being offset by a lower discount rate. When we look at what happened a year ago or in March uh, 2020, so when the global pandemic hit. Uh, Overnight rates in North America were not that high, but at least they were at, you know, I think they were at 175%. And central bankers obviously reacted very strongly and cut rates almost to zero. Um, And, uh, you know, government bonds provided uh, or your traditional fixed income provided kind of some capital gains to offset the equity portion, which is what we were talking about, the 60% here. Um, and, which was down like 30%. So, so so that provided a little bit of, uh, of capital gain to offset uh, the, um, the loss on, on the equity side. But when we look at March 2020, uh, how traditional fixed income in countries where overnight rates were already at zero or even below zero, so Japan, Switzerland, or Germany, you actually did not see your capital gain on your traditional fixed income, like we saw a bit in Canada and the US. So we're sitting here today with overnight rates at again pretty much zero. So it means that going forward, should anything occur, the central bankers' capacity to restimulate the economy or at least for investors, you know, expectations of capital gains for your traditional fixed income, we think they're quite low. And and you know that's why we're saying that um, you know they may not provide this protection, and and I'd go even a step further. Um, should a scenario occurs where rates rise because the economy is reopening because of inflation, which actually brings a sell off in equities, you actually could see both your equities and your fixed income or your traditional fixed income go down at the same time. So again. Back to, uh, you know, the, the facts that looking at diversification is probably a good thing to do right now.
0: Mark, it seems almost impossible these days when we read about or uh, watch any news on the economy that there's not going to be talk about inflation. And that talk is often about higher inflation. What are your thoughts on this and why is inflation an important consideration when we're investing in fixed income?
1: The terminology—is uh, it transitory or not—is is obviously very, very topical and 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 probably one of the largest risks in, in markets right now. And um, when we look at the facts, uh, it is obvious that some of the uh, drivers which will bring inflation kind of numbers year over year changes uh, high over the next two three months uh, some of them are obviously transitory uh, talking about just energy costs a year ago I mean we were in shot down so I guess you could fill up your car <laughs> a lot cheaper than today um, but but they are in our mind potential for long-term implication of you know all of these stimulus that we're seeing out there from a monetary standpoint fiscal standpoint Uh, And also kind of implication or or side effects or long-term effects of the uh, global uh, pandemic that we've seen. And and, in bigger picture, I'd say that the odds of seeing the on the inflation side, the two tails, the two tail risks, so um, deflation versus high inflation, those two tail risks, in my mind, uh, they've gone up. Uh, on the, uh, you know, deflation side, I think we still have issues or, or very strong uh, momentum from demographics, any technological uh, advances and the huge amount of debt in the system. So Those are, are obviously bringing down or increasing the odds of, of deflation basically in the future but on the opposite side on the hyperinflation side uh again you you have there the unbelievable wartime fiscal stimulus deficits uh that we've we have not seen in generations there's the the very weird uh, phenomenon whereby you have a global recession but disposable income is actually up <laughs> uh and there's huge pent up demand you've never really seen that and you know this will lead to uh, very strong uh, reopening um, economic activity. And maybe one thing investors might not fully appreciate, but this kind of desire to focus on, on improving, uh, you know, any environmental issues, um, if we're, we're, we're really true about it, this will increase uh, inflation in the future, so there's a cost uh, attached to it. So, so again, looking at the the, the both tells, uh, we think you know both have gone up. And, and in reality, wh- what is the probability that central bankers and government um, pull out all of these stimulus at the perfect timing, such as the economy, you know, has a long term growth trajectory, so not too hot. Not too slow. We think it. The odds are, are that it you know, it might not play that way, uh, and the Fed basically wants investors to believe that it's going to be transitory, and then that they have the tools available to uh, to be dealing with it. But if I mean, we'll we'll see. Only only time will tell if 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 that's going to play out. And I I really like to um, try to compare the unbelievable size of the fiscal stimulus. Uh, at least in North America, and I'll focus here on the U.S., but but Larry Summers, not not that long ago, tried to compare uh, the level of fiscal support in the U.S., comparing uh, the last recession, so 2009, uh, eight and nine, and then you know, 2020 and 2021, and basically he looked at the output gap in the economy. And and based on his work, uh, you know there was a output gap that was negative uh, in 2008 and 9 about 80 billion a month. So basically running 80 billion a month lower or below the long term trend. So really tough time. And the stim- the fiscal stimulus at that time from from Obama was actually 40 billion a month. So so roughly offsetting half of the shortfall. Fast forward today in the US the output gap is about 30 billion a month and obviously we're reopening so this is shrinking every month and and we're probably going to be flat this summer uh, but the the fiscal stimulus is is 150 billion so it's basically five times more Than the shortfall, which is why, you know, uh, as now, facts have changed. I mean, we have the vaccine, it's highly effective, and then we're reopening. um, You know, it might push the economy to really overheat, at least in the short run. So so those are the facts. uh, And this is why the long-term impact of inflation is very, very important, especially, obviously, for fixed income.
0: Yeah, and Mark, there's not going to be a question or a, or a conversation around inflation without a, a similar conversation around rates. And I'm curious as to your thoughts on the impacts, you know, short and medium term, of a higher inflation environment on rates, and what might happen to traditional fixed income investments if rates do in fact increase.
1: For fixed income investors with a mid to long term view, um, seeing. Um, the economy improving, uh, seeing rates uh, reacting to that, that that'll be good longer term because you'll be able to attract a, a long term return that's going to be uh, higher than today and and hopefully higher than than inflation. So you you keep a purchasing power from that standpoint. Uh, that being said, in in the short term, it's that transition uh, which is uh, very challenging when we look at. The current state of the market, whereby issuers issued a lot of bonds, uh, issued longer dated bonds, and and your income, as we talked about, is is quite low. So, so the the a move up in rate, similar to what we've seen earlier this year, is obviously bringing uh, your traditional fixed income um, in a negative. Uh, total return, where you're, if you look at Canada, for example, a move higher in rates by one percent brings a a mark-to-market loss of of eight uh, percent, and you have right now one point um, less than two percent of of return, uh, minus your fees, uh, and and we just talked about inflation being uh, going up, so so you're losing uh, both on the mark-to-market, but also on the purchasing power. So so this is why I think. Uh, investors need to look at alternative and be mindful of, of those risks. Again, longer term, uh, higher rates, and especially if rates are higher than the level of inflation, um, this is good for fixed income investors. But it's really that transition uh, which is uh, which can be painful.
0: You just mentioned alternative strategies in your uh, last answer there, and I, I wanted to go a little bit deeper on that one. It's my understanding that institutional investors are actually employing Alternative fixed income strategies in their portfolios. So, what are you talking about when you mention alternative?
1: Yeah, you're totally right, uh, Mark. That um, large pension plans uh, have been uh, basically diversifying over over the past few decades. Whereby, uh, if you look at at the balance um, a balance mandate, you know, our sixty forty, they've actually reduced both the sixty and the forty. And allocated more to to alternatives in between. Uh, so you have alternative asset classes. So that would be uh, real estate, infrastructure. Uh, you would have credit there. You would have, but also alternative strategies. So so more like the. The hedge funds so, so strategies that that have low correlation to to both the sixty and the forty, uh, so uh, so you're totally right. This is a great area for investors to to look at, and and over the the past few years, there's been um, more um, solutions available, not just to institutional investors, uh, but also uh, retail investors. So so I think the diversification um, in liquid alt liquid alternatives has a place in a balanced portfolio. So it's possible then when we think
0: about the traditional 60-40 that we may start talking about a traditional portfolio that looks like
1: 50-30-20. Definitely. This is basically where the, the large pension plans are. Uh, that, that's, that's their mix right now. At the top of the
0: podcast today, I um, introduced you as being head of the uh, specialized credit team. I want to ask you, how do credit-related solutions, which is your focus, differ from traditional fixed income? And how do they provide diversification benefits in this, you know, current fixed income environment?
1: There are different types of credit. Um, your introduction talked about the your return from from traditional investment grade, and and where we're sitting today. Obviously, the the return profile going forward is not as attractive as as before. So so both retail and um, you know pension plans have looked at credit uh, for for solutions, different type, whether it's private. Uh, credit or public uh, credit. Uh, We think that um, investors who decide to look at credit uh, to improve um, diversification, uh, to keep a purchasing power, uh, must must also look at um, strategies and solutions that uh, have low interest rate sensitivity, as we talked about. Uh, Look for sectors uh, An allocation to sectors uh, which will benefit uh, from a reopening of the economy uh, and probably look at being active as well. Uh, so, uh, so those are, uh, I'd say, the, the items uh, that investors uh, who decide to look at credit uh, should be uh, focusing on uh, when it's time to allocate uh, to, um, uh, to credit to improve diversification.
0: Well, then maybe the best way to apply some of the information that you've disseminated here for us today is to talk through some of the strategies that you currently think are you know, particularly suited uh, under your stewardship as a portfolio manager to address the need to diversify within the fixed income arena. And you know, where you're managing over $6 billion in credit-related assets, that's a big number. So let's talk about a couple of the strategies that apply directly to what we've been talking about here.
1: Yeah, the, the strategies that I'm going to talk to you about are obviously strategies that we think are very suited now. Um, so would have lower or low uh, interest rate sensitivity uh, while providing investors with a, a reasonable return um, uh, profile. So the first one, which is actually an alternative strategy, uh, so, so um, the dynamic absolute return um, credit uh, strategy, uh, strategy that was launched over seven years ago uh, with the objective of delivering a mid-single-digit return through the entire business cycle with very low interest sensitivity while remaining investment grade, so so really well suited for for the current environment. Uh, and when we look at the the strategy, so how the strategy performed. Uh, during periods of rising rates uh, since we, we launched in, in 2014, um, you know we see the, the, the fund actually having a, a positive return uh, during those periods of above 2%, while your traditional fixed income uh, would have had a, a negative return of almost 4% during those periods. And this is obviously uh, what we, uh, we've seen so far year-to-date where your traditional fixed income has a negative return while this strategy is is positive and, and when we look forward uh, this strategy uh, has not benefited from lower rates uh, but you know, it's not going to get penalized from you know potential higher rates in the future. And and when we look at the correlation of this fund to to your traditional fixed income, it, it's extremely low. Uh, and the return or the running yield right now, for example, we're running at four seventy five percent of of running yield with a duration of point five years and a weighted average credit quality of triple B. It's it, it's pretty attractive. It's a great complement. Uh, in a um, client portfolio, the second solution um, that is a great um, place to to invest today is is what we call uh, the crossover space, and and really the crossover space means the lower bound of investment grade, so that would be triple B, and the higher quality of high yield, which will be double B. So this is a very nichey, uh, unique uh, product. This is. Uh, and the sweet spot in my mind for for fixed income investing it's it's where you're you're getting the the most bang for your buck if you want where you get the most return per unit of volatility so whether it's interest rate volatility or credit spread volatility uh, and you're not taking on default risk which would be the triple C's and single B so very sweet spot for for investing you can basically um, accomplish a high-yield-like uh, return or equity-like return, for that matter, with, with uh, you know, a third less volatility. Uh, and, and as we look forward, we think this is another place uh, where investors can look at to, uh, to improve diversification uh, in portfolios. Uh, the third solution, uh, which basically going down um, further, if you want, in, in the uh, in the credit market, where you look at uh, you know high yield um, and and, and leverage loans, um, those obviously benefit a lot more from the economic reopening uh, than than from the interest rate sensitivity. Uh, when we look at the facts, uh, we look at the quality. Of the that market uh, over the past uh, few decades, we've we actually we've never seen such a strong um, credit quality underneath. If you look at what happened last year, is is with the unexpected uh, global recession. Uh, you've seen uh, the weaker credits defaulting. Uh, you've also seen some triple uh, B's um, companies being downgraded to high yield. Uh, and those companies, as the economy reopens, are are restarting uh, to um, um, to improve uh, their margins. Uh, we call them uh, fallen angels. Um, so so the 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 quality today is is very very high. Uh, defaults uh, will will continue or should continue to remain low and to go down as the economy reopens. Uh, rates remain low. Uh, companies are having access to capital markets. Uh, so we expect the default risk to remain quite low for the foreseeable future or seeing the odds of a recession uh quite low so so that's another area for investors to to look at obviously valuations uh are reflecting kind of a a reopening uh but there's still great uh sectors issuers uh, that provide a pretty good return profile um, um, over and above uh, inflation. So, so we do think that um, this is another area that investors should be looking at. And the fourth strategy uh, is Canadian preferred shares. Um, there are three main drivers. Um, that, in our mind, dictate the asset class returns. Um, There are uh, the the credit risks, the subordination risks, or the odds of seeing a a recession, uh, which we think um, the odds are quite low right now. Uh, The second driver of the asset class is is basically short-term interest rates, as I mentioned before, with rates already at, at very low levels, the fact that we have uh, the vaccine, the economy is reopening, we think that the odds are that the central bankers uh, look at increasing overnight rates um, uh, over the next few years. So the asset class like to see higher rates because your coupon is resetting um, every five years. Uh, so if, if the overnight rates uh, and, and short-term rates are higher, well, your, your cash flow is going to go up. Uh, the third driver of the asset class is, is what we call technical, so basically the supply and demand. Uh, and this is where we're, we're, we're experiencing something that's unique to Canada uh, in preferred shares, which we think that the supply of uh, products is actually going to go down. Uh, so companies that are issuing preferred shares Uh, are able to recapitalize themselves or issue capital in other um, um, sectors cheaper than the Canadian preferred share market. So we expect uh, to see the asset class supply uh, to go down, which should support um, Canadian preferred shares uh, as we look forward. Well, Mark, you have certainly unpacked a lot of the
0: considerations that an investor needs to think about when considering diversifying their fixed income allocations. There is another consideration I'd like to talk about and, and that's how to choose what type of allocation you're making within your fixed income portfolio. And that's whether we're looking at a more passive overlay or an active management approach. And of course, passive, where we're just trying to follow uh, an indices and match those returns versus active, where a portfolio manager like yourself is trying to outperform uh, those benchmarks. Why do you think investors should favor an active approach when we're thinking about everything you've talked about today?
1: Again, we, we've been doing this for, for a number of decades now, and and I think in less liquid markets, so i.e. not equities or, or u s 500, um, the odds of active managers to outperform passive strategies are just higher. Um, investing is all about risk and reward, uh, and in fixed income – when you decide to go passive, you outsource um, 100% of the the risk evaluation uh, to well, one, the rating agencies. Uh, they're the ones paid by the issuers, dictating if it's going to be in the benchmarks or not. And two, um, the risk is not necessarily taken into account. Uh, and uh, so, so I mentioned earlier uh, the experience that we've seen in in 2020. Where you had uh, a huge amount of basically bonds or, or issuers being downgraded from investment grade to high yield, well, that brings a lot of forced sellers, and um, you know whether you're a, well, a passive manager, uh, a, an insurance company that that needs to uh, look at ratings um, because of capital reasons, so all of those are are, are bringing forced sellers. So so basically. Um, taking the other side of that, doing your own fundamental credit work uh, has proven uh, to be a great strategy. And uh, when we look at what's in front of us, uh, we think that the, the other thing's going to happen <laughs> next year, whereby a number of companies, uh, now that the economy is reopening, uh, a number of companies will get upgraded back up to investment grade. So there will be forced buyers. Uh, over the next year so 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 being active uh, and knowing those those kind of uh, flows and doing your own credit work I think increases your odds of of outperforming and and even closer to to um, uh, to Canada just looking at for example the the preferred share market um, there are currently as we speak uh, we're able to sell uh, some preferred shares with a negative yield to call returns. Uh, And we believe based on, you know, our analysis that some of those buyers um, are basically passive, not because they're not their fault. It's just that they're following um, the way the, the, the indices are, are constructed. So, so they're buying some preferreds, which will basically um, get redeemed over the next two or three months uh, with a negative return. Uh, so so knowing, um, knowing the various players, the various rules, again, uh, I think this is why the odds of outperforming uh, by being active in fixed income uh, is, um, is, is high.
0: Mark, those are really appreciated insights. And, you know, this is such a big subject and uh, it requires a lot of due diligence uh, and it requires advice. And I, I know you stand with me when I say for everything we've talked about here today, The next step for an investor is to really sit down and talk to their advisor about how their portfolio construction will evolve over the coming days. So I want to thank you for those insights and giving us all something to think about and appreciate your time today and to our listeners for joining us. And of course, we always think that you should seek more advice on any of the information that we've covered today or on investing in general from a qualified financial advisor. On behalf of all of us here at Dynamic, we wish you continued good health and safety. And thanks again for joining us. You've been listening to another edition of On the Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca.
2: This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management L.P and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commission's, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.